As I, as I was uh, preparing for Ephesians 3, I just had this illustration come into my head. I'm hoping that it works. And the disclaimer I have with all of my illustrations, if it, if it absolutely falls flat, you'll never hear it again. Um, but please, you can give me your, you know, your thoughts on it. But I, I want you to imagine, imagine this scenario. Right? You're at a restaurant. And the waiter comes by to seat you and take your order and you notice he's not quite of retirement age, but he's close. Um, he seems to be really happy to w- be working there. He's got a smile, and it's not a plastic smile. Um, he seems like he's genuinely engaged and interested in you and in what he's doing. And so as you interact with him, you get the impression also that this guy seems very well educated. His vocabulary tells you that he must have graduated from some Ivy League college or something at some point. Well, as he brings out your food and checks on your table, you get talking more, and it sounds like he was at some point a very successful entrepreneur in his life. And then you start to think, well, maybe I've heard his name before. It's so odd. Maybe it was an article in a magazine or something, a story about rich and influential people. So finally, you have the curiosity to ask, Paul, how did you end up as a table server? To which he replies, it's amazing, right? You have no idea how many strings God had to pull to get me this job. I can't believe I get to work here. Now, except that most of us are fairly familiar with Paul's testimony, you might be shocked that someone of that stature, that age, of that education might be that enthusiastic about serving tables. And just so you know, um, one of my first jobs was as a a table busser at Disneyland. So this is not at all to diminish uh, any of you who are in the the service industry like that. Um, But I, I use that analogy because it's very similar to the testimony of Paul, or at least it gets us in the right mindset. Because the Apostle Paul, prior to being in prison, which is where he's writing this letter, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was trained by Gamaliel, one of the preeminent Jewish scholars of his day. He was so zealous for God, he seemed to have success in life and in his career. He had the approval of his peers. Yet here he was, imprisoned as a criminal, and happy to consider himself as nothing more than a servant, a waiter at a table. Now, this is a two-part sermon. The theme is, the theme is, the privilege of gospel ministry comes from the preciousness of the gospel. The privilege of gospel ministry comes from the preciousness of the gospel. And today we're going to first talk about Paul's sense of this extraordinary privilege he had to serve the Lord through gospel ministry. And then next time we'll talk about the preciousness of the gospel that makes serving such a privilege. Or you could think of it this way. The more precious the gospel is to you, the more you realize what a privilege it is to serve the gospel. Now, I want to remind ourselves before we read uh, the first part of the passage here that Paul is interrupting his own prayer to talk about the gospel again. (laughs) It's a thought that he can't get out of his head. And just to uh, 
remind ourselves, last time we talked about this mystery of the gospel, and that phrase mystery doesn't mean like a whodunit novel, but it's a truth that was hidden, you could say even in plain sight, in the past, but now has come to full light and revelation. And this mystery of the gospel is that there can be peace and unity between Jews and Gentiles, between the the people of God and those who are hostile to God. There can be peace between them through the blood of Jesus Christ because really their conflict is with God, that the only way they can have peace with each other is if they both have peace with God and are united as one people. And trust me, that's so many implications for all of the division that we see in the world right now. I won't get into that. Ephesians 3 then, beginning in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. It is a privilege to serve Christ and to serve like Christ. It's a privilege to serve Christ and to serve like Christ. Now, Paul is here, obviously he's talking about his work as an apostle, as a sent one. And we talked about that word last week, is it kind of means missionary or church planter. Uh, The word also refers to this class of of a specially appointed men who were going to write the scriptures, who are the disciples and witnesses of Christ and so on. But he doesn't call himself an apostle here. Instead, he uses the word minister. Now, depending on where you grew up, the word minister is the same as the word for like a pastor. You might call the pastor a minister. But um, this word here... um, the Greek word that this is translating minister, and remember the New Testament was originally written in, in Greek, the word actually is diakonos, right? Diakonos. And we actually get our word deacon from this word for minister. I know that seems a little bit confusing if you said, of this gospel I was made a deacon, because we also have this preconception of what the word deacon means. But Originally, before it was used like in a church setting, the word diakonos or deacon was used to refer to a table server or a waiter, hence the illustration at the beginning. It was somewhat of a a menial job. It was a service job. You were kind of a slave, you could say, of the the restaurant owner, and you were also a slave of the customer. So you were someone who served doubly almost. But Paul, you can tell, has no problem considering himself this table server. And I might say that, I might say minister, I might, uh, I won't say diakonos probably, but understand I mean this word here. I was made a table server according to the gift of God's grace. And it just came to mean anyone who has like a service role or position. Now, the preposition there, uh, prepositions are always important, where it says, according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. This is important because it explains kind of the circumstances of how Paul became this table server of God. To Paul, being a servant was something 
that he didn't feel he deserved. So it's a, there's a relationship between how much he thinks of himself as a servant and how little he thinks he deserves that privilege and that opportunity. So how much of a privilege is it that he gets to serve the Lord? It is as high as something that God alone can give by his own power. Or think of it this way. The very opportunity to serve is a grace gift. And that that idea is, is all over the New Testament. I like the phrase, but a grace gift is something specially given by God to us for his purpose that we don't deserve. God, specially given gift by God to us for his purpose, his glorious purpose that we don't deserve. So suffering can be a grace gift. It's in First Peter. But here he's saying his very service as an apostle, as a missionary, as a church planner, as a scripture writer, all of it for the sake of the gospel is something that he did not work for or earn, but that God himself caused to happen by his power. It took an act of divine strength for God to make Paul a servant. <laughs> that seems like such a bizarre idea. But you could think of it maybe this way. like It, it was easy for God to appoint David as a king. David, you're going to be the king. It's, it almost seems like there's no strings attached. When, when God gives David the Davidic covenant, it's an unconditional covenant. It's barely an inconvenience. But to Paul, to make him a servant, it took effort on the part of God. This is going to take, I, I have to give it to him as grace. He's never going to get there. He's never going to earn this. And I'm going to have to do work to get him in that position. Just like you might think it takes, you know, someone had to pull a lot of strings for me to get this job. Like, and that's kind of the, uh, the illustration I was using at the beginning. Like, you'd, you don't need to pull any strings to get someone a job as a table server, typically. There's usually help-wanted signs at, at restaurants. But Paul is saying, this, it took a lot of work on the part of God to get me in this place where I could serve you took a lot of work on God's part to get me in this prison where I could be writing you these letters and where the household of Caesar can hear the gospel. David was a man after God's own heart. Easy, sure, you can be king. I'm giving that to you. But Paul was a murderous and ignorant persecutor of the church, so he needed a lot of grace, a lot of help, a lot of forgiveness in order to be a useful instrument to the Lord. Now you might be like, like me. I, when I first, when I had that job as a table buster at Disneyland, is in the, the Blue Bayou. That was my first job. Um, and uh, I was excited to do it because I just, I just wanted some work experience. But I never thought of it as like a, a privilege, like they were doing me a favor. You know, I, I was thinking, well, I, you, you know, you're paying me, so you, you want me. You need me to do this. But especially what Paul is considering his ministry, which is, the, you know, he's in jail right now. He's in house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, like we said last week. That doesn't sound like a privilege. That sounds like a punishment. That sounds like you messed something up, and God is, 
is having to give you some consequences for not serving him right. Like, how do you end up in jail doing everything right, right? Well, Paul didn't see it that way. Being a servant of God was to him, it was a privilege. It was, it was to achieve a position that was better than he deserved. It was to be promoted to a job or a position in a company where you're like, I, I don't deserve this. I don't know if I can do it. Look at what he says in verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Do you hear his sense of unbelief? I can't believe God would make me, me, a servant. Even though I am the very least of all the saints, to me, this grace was given. He certainly saw that it was a privilege to serve Christ, that it was something that, that in his wildest dreams, now he thought he was serving the Lord when he was, you know, out trying to arrest Christians. But once he realized by the grace of God who Jesus was, that in the gospel he is offering forgiveness for self-righteous religious people, he did a 180 in his mind. I, I can't serve God. When he says that he's the least of all the saints, the word saints, it doesn't mean that um, super religious people. When Paul uses the word saints, he almost always just means, I think always just means regular Christians like you and me. So he's saying that he is the least of all the Christians, all the followers of Christ. Because after all, he was once persecuting them. He was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr who died for his faith, he was there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen unjustly. He was a participant in that way. He was approving of what was happening there. So you can imagine why he might have considered himself unworthy to serve Christ, unworthy to serve even Christians, let alone be a Christian. But it's a privilege to serve Christ because it can only happen by the work of God. So if it takes, if you can only get that job, let's say, if God works for you, gives it to you by his grace, makes it happen, it must be a privilege, right? So it's a privilege to serve Christ because of the grace and the work required since we don't deserve it. But it's also a privilege to serve like Christ, to to in your job now, what is the job? What is the table-serving job in its nature? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. It's a privilege to serve because it, it's an act of grace to make it even possible for you to be someone who is able to serve. Then look at this, Matthew 20, 25 through 28. The mother of James and John has pulled Jesus aside and says, I, I want you to do something for me. 
my sons, I want you to let them sit at your right and left hand. She's asking to give Jesus, for Jesus to give his kids or her kids a job. (laughs) And the job is to sit at the right and left hand of God. It's very privileged, very honorable positions, right? So it's, you know, just, just like anyone else. If you've got a connection and you're looking for work, you know, you go, ah, oh, my son, he's about to graduate college. You know, do you have a place in your engineering firm or something? Well, this is, I mean, she has it in with Jesus, the son of God. Um, can my son sit at your right and left hand? Well, he says, <laughs> well, the, <laughs> the 10 other disciples hear this. And so they get mad at James and John. I mean, you, you just imagine like someone's mother <laughs> sorry it's a lot of drama i don't mean to get into the drama there but you can read it for yourself like boy they must have been fighting all the time about this stuff for people's moms to get involved these are grown men right so their moms over there you know can you do this for my son my son's jesus well jesus he is going to teach them something uh it's it just so beyond the ridiculous infighting that's happening here it's just so above it like they are just there in this very worldly fight over who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven who gets the job to sit at the right and left hand of god and jesus called them to him and said you know that the rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them you know that the politicians in sacramento and dc lord it over the people and exercise their authority right that's how what they do right you know that right you know that right it shall not be so among you get your head out of that don't think about worldly power and exercise of authority over governments and nations it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must be your servant diakonos table server and whoever would be first among you must be your slave and that's even more uh, subservient yet no rights and no privileges as a slave even as the son of man came not to be diakonos diakoneo but to diakoneo same word except as a verb the son of man came to be the table server not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many you see it's not just a privilege to serve christ and it's a privilege because it takes his grace and his work he's got to give it to you something you can't earn for yourself but it's also a privilege to be a minister of the gospel because it is to be like Christ, who was the servant of all. We will never understand greatness and power and authority unless we can understand that what makes the gospel so glorious and beautiful is that Jesus is the servant of all. And that, what, that is what makes him great. So while we aren't all going to be missionaries or pastors like Paul, every Christian is a servant. Well, every Christian who wants to be great. I'm so humble, I don't want to be great. <laughs> so Paul, you know, Jesus totally cuts that, cuts that out. Well, you know, if you want to be 
if you don't want to be great, that's saying you don't want to serve. That's the opposite of humility, right? So he gets you. He gets you here. He traps you. You don't, so you don't want to be great. So you want to be selfish and not serve. No, no, no. So you want to be great. Well, I know, but don't I have to be humble? Well, yes. The way to greatness is humility. You be the servant of all and the slave of all. Oh, he, he, he knows how to just trap you in your own sin, right? In your own sinful thoughts and intentions. He knows. But what a beautiful trap to lay. Because Jesus said, and let me show you what I mean. And he goes, he gets, lives his perfect life, gets unjustly accused of being a sinner and a wrongdoer. He gets put forth in a trial full of a bunch of hypocrites and liars. And he hangs on a cross to die the worst kind of criminal's death, shameful and embarrassing, naked for all to see, as if he was the worst of humanity. But in so doing, he, become, he became the greatest servant because he gave his life to forgive our sins, to appeal on our sake to God, the very people who killed him. That is service. It is a privilege to serve Christ like Christ by being humble, by being a servant to all. It's a gift, in other words, when you have a chance to serve someone else. And that's something that is so easy to forget. As I was writing this, I think, man, I am not, I don't know if I'm setting up my kids for success because we can, we can tell our lights to turn off and on. Like I can tell, you know, I can tell Alexa, and I'm trying not to say that too loud because if you're on like at home on YouTube and you got it turned up, I'm going to turn on your Alexa and I'm going to turn off your lights. <laughs> but if I say Alexa, turn off the lights. But I can literally tell my electronic devices at home to turn off and on, be at 30%, be at this volume. I used to be able to change my, I don't know, maybe your TVs can do this, but I can't, mine doesn't, used to. You could tell your TV to show you this movie, that movie, all these things. We have just such an attitude where everything is here to, to serve us and, and, and we expect only to see and hear things that we want to be instantly gratified if I want something, to be able to instantly shop for something just within a few seconds of pulling out my phone. The world is just a click away, and we want it to serve us. But it's a message so contrary to Paul's own heart to think that it's a privilege to serve. What if God's grace gift to you isn't that you get everything that you want? Think of it this way. Imagine praying, God, Give me grace. Give me power. I need your strength working in my life. I need some, some help here. Grant me a grace gift. And God says, here, I will give you servanthood. And how many of you would be thrilled if that was under your Christmas tree? This is December 25th. Oh, it's the gift of servanthood. I can be someone else. I can serve someone else. I mean, just talk about ruining, you know, your kids' 
Christmas experience. <laughs> I, I give them my servanthood on Christmas. You parents know. You're giving them your servant. That's the greatest gift you're giving them on Christmas typically. How many parents, how many adults, how many retirees or, or grandparents want to hear that? But that's, that's, that's the kind of privilege it is to serve the Lord. Take the whole grace of God to do it. It takes the work of God to get you in that position. James and John, they thought they could schmooze their way into that. But what they don't realize, it took the grace and the power of God to bring them to be apostles. Right and left hand, I don't know who will sit there. But we will know they will not have gotten there because, you know, their mom (laughs) talked them into it. But that they were servants. Secondly, it's a privilege to serve, especially those who don't deserve it. And this comes from the fact that it's a grace gift. It's grace, meaning God's riches at Christ's expense, meaning something you did not earn for yourself. So, of course, it must be a privilege to serve those who don't even deserve it. He says, to me, though I'm very the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And remember, this has just been in his head for the past chapter and a half. Jews and Gentiles together, incredible. Why is it so incredible to him? Well, the word preaching there, just just real fast, is actually, you could translate it evangelizing, meaning to share the gospel. So he's not just talking about preaching, standing in front of people, telling them what the word of God says, but there's a specific angle to it that he is preaching to the Gentiles. This is how you can be right with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, the creator of the whole universe. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ, the same blood that was shed for Jews, has been shed for Gentiles. We are all one people in Christ. But again, this is shocking because Jews viewed Gentiles as enemies for the most part. They were very resentful of the fact that they had been under the oppression of Gentile nations for centuries at this point. You had many rebellious movements that were going on. In fact, by the time a few years after this was written, there would be, uh, Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans. There would be a last offense at Petra, and all, all this violence would occur because they very much chafed under the Gentiles, and so there was not a whole lot of love, typically speaking, and especially those Jews who were super religious, who tended to live around Jerusalem, who were Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was someone who would have been a guy that hated Gentiles. Those Jews down there by Jerusalem, they considered all the other Jews who didn't live close to Jerusalem, they were sellouts. They were compromisers. They called them Hellenized Jews, meaning uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews. Uh, That means Greekerized. You know, they're Gentilized Jews. And so they looked down on those Jews in Galilee and in Capernaum and Nazareth. Now, what's interesting is Paul was this way by choice, not by birth. How do I know that? How do I know that he would have had to choose to disdain Gentiles? Well, Paul was born in Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen, 
as he appeals to his Roman citizenship in the book's book of Acts. His parents were Jews, yes, but at some point they must have become Roman citizens because Paul's born in Tarsus as a free Roman citizen. And yet, according to Philippians 3, at some point he embraced his full Jewishness, showing a zeal beyond all of his contemporaries. He moved to Jerusalem. He studied under Gamaliel, the, the son or grandson of a very famous rabbi. He fully embraced his Jewishness. And I can only assume he would have rejected anything to do with his Roman citizenship. And a connection to the Gentiles. I mean, he chose to be a super Hebrew. Even though as a free Roman citizen, he could have done almost anything in the, in the Roman Empire that he wanted to. So he chose to be this kind of man who would eventually persecute Christians. He chose that. He chose to become an ultra self-righteous Jew. And it's a little bit of an irony that Paul would appeal later to his Roman citizenship once he became a Christian. He saw whatever I need to be and whatever I am, I will use to the service of the Lord, even my Roman citizenship, even my Jewishness. Whatever it took, he was there for the gospel. Anyway, that's an aside. But God turned Paul just so completely upside down. Not only was he grace-gifted to be a Christian, he was grace-gifted to be a servant to those godless Gentiles and call them to be one people with the Jews. This is to be completely deprogrammed from his racism. This was to be completely against what, what he was taught as far as the Gentiles that are outside of the plan of God. Everything he said in Ephesians 2 was contrary to the life that he had chose, chosen up until the Lord saved him. And amazingly, Paul wasn't resentful about losing any of that. He wasn't resentful or bitter about having to now go to the enemies and preach to them good news. He thought it was the best thing that ever happened to him. It was the highest honor of his life to be a servant of Gentiles and to urge them to come to God through Christ. That's why this is a grace gift. That's why this has to come about by the working of God's power. It's so com completely contrary to Paul's trajectory of hate, of self-righteousness, of pride and ego. It was completely opposite to the plan that he thought he was on. The grace gift of servanthood, really, it changed everything about his outlook on life, especially to serve those who he was previously considering his enemies. That's why he wrote all about it. He's still amazed by that as he writes the book of Ephesians. The gospel and the grace that it brings, it addresses so many things in our lives. Just imagine, if it can turn a person into a servant of those whom you consider your enemy, and the grace of God is amazing, and the work and power of God is amazing, it means it can address a lot of things in your life. If you can love your enemy, if you can love people that you hate, that can, that can fix a lot of things going on in your life, from discontentment to racism 
to consumerism, to entitlement, a message that says enemies can be made one people, that's a gospel that can unite. Maybe there are times when you feel like you're not getting what you want or deserve. But that word deserve is just so slippery, so tricky. What do we deserve and not deserve? Paul thinks he deserves to be separated from God and condemned for his sins. Paul thinks he doesn't deserve to be a servant. But the grace of God is that he was forgiven of his sins. And the grace of God is that he gets to serve the Lord. How do you think through what you think you deserve and what you don't deserve in your prayers? If you've been praying, Lord, give me strength and give me grace, would you be content to hear the answer of, then, okay, I'll make you a servant. Consider these words from the psalmist. Psalm 8410. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Better to be a doorkeeper. Better to be a table server in the house of God than to have a thousand somewhere else. Sometimes we don't see the service as a privilege. That entirely depends on our view of the gospel. And we'll see that next time together, we're together. But whereas Paul tends to talk about the content of the gospel, he's going to talk, he's going to describe the gospel in such precious and beautiful ways. You will see, Lord willing, why it's such a privilege to serve that gospel. We'll get to that next time. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are better than what we, you treat us so much better than what we deserve. Even your servicehood is better than we deserve. We don't deserve to serve a holy God if service is the way to greatness. We don't deserve to be great in the kingdom of God. It's just such a bizarre, upside-down way to think, but maybe that's what the world needs, is for Christians to show this kind of upside-down attitude towards service, towards love, towards the things that really matter, towards our priorities. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts to remember again what a privilege it is to call ourselves not only children of God, but table servers of God. We pray, Lord, that you give us many opportunities, big and small, even today, to serve someone else. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.